Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my sisters, Lord. Yet another day, Lord, to uplift your name and to get into your word, that we all might be edified of your truth, that we may learn, Lord, your words, because they are spirit and they are life. And I pray, Lord, that you give us a way to apply them to our, our nature, that you apply them to our lives. I pray that, Lord, we be transformed by your words. And we pray, Lord, that no flesh gets glorified tonight. We pray that no man's heart speaks tonight. But we pray that we get taught of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that your spirit will come mightily upon us all, that we may learn of your truth and that we might be able to be uh, vessels fit for your use. Lord, in Jesus' name, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is not of you, Lord Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind it and you cut it out. And I pray that your words be heard, Lord, and that they be clear. Open those eyes of those who can't see and the ears of those who can't hear. Simplify the gospel, Lord, that people will understand. And I pray, Lord, that you give us a boldness in the spirit that we might share your word with someone. That we may also influence others to come unto the truth, Lord, because without it, we can do nothing. So, Lord, we know that in the end of time that you are going to have your supper. And all you want is people invited to it. I pray that you give us words in season. I pray that you give us the belief and the faith, Lord, that we can talk about you wherever we are. Because in a lost, dying, and condemned world, Lord, you are that source of life. And if you said that we are the light and salt of the earth, then, Lord, we have to worship you. We have to represent you. And that salt is a preservative, Lord. And you said if the salt be no good, then it is no more other than to be trodden down by the foot of men. So, Lord, we want to hold your name up high, and we want to get into your word, Lord, for we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you do all these things that we ask, that you bless those, Lord, who haven't been here and who won't come back, Lord. I pray that you turn them, or I pray with you, that you use them wherever they are, And I pray that you build them up, Lord, for this is all about your perfect will being done. For you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are faithful, just, and you are true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, I pray that you do what we ask for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called Children of the Wilderness. Children of the wilderness. And the reason why the Lord brought me to this particular study, I had this actually written for a couple of months, but I never know why the Lord tells me to do things. And then I'm like, okay, well, what are we going to talk about? He's like, I'll let you know when the time comes. So I had something else lined up for tonight, but he gave me this one in particular. And what we're going to learn tonight is that the wilderness is a is a very 
different place. It's a it's a very uh, you know <laughs> it can be a very challenging place. You know the wilderness is good for those who believe God and will go in His ways. When you believe in God and you trust in Him, eventually you will reach a place called the wilderness with Him. But when you are against God or you stray away from God, you will also be thrown into an area called the wilderness. Okay, so the wilderness can either be your foe or your friend. But the reason why it becomes a friend to the believer is because we find those places where we believe in God that much more. It's kind of like when you're young in your life and, you know, you might be at home and you talk about the future and you talk about what you want to do when you go to college and when you pursue a career and you live your life. Now, all these things sound great when you're at home, still living with mom and she's taking care of everything. But, you know, when you start to get closer to that moment or you find yourself living away from home on campus or whatever, and you start to get that nervous feeling like, man, I'm out of money. You know, I didn't realize it was going to be this tough. I got bills to pay. I got other things to do. And it can kind of make you waver a little bit. But in that process of being away from home, what do we learn to do? We become more responsible. We actually have more faith in ourselves because of the fact that, you know, we learn, oh, I can pay bills. I can do this. I can do that. I can study. So you tend to get stronger when you are away from home, right? It's almost like a bird leaving the nest and looking to fly. So the reason why the wilderness is good for, for us, for those who believe him, is because it's the place where you draw closer to him without distraction. And the wilderness is a place where it's a barren land. It's not a land that has much. So if you are going to be sustained, you're going to trust in God, no longer in yourself. Now, that's why we're going to cover a few things tonight, but I do want to make this comparison because I think that anyone, when the Lord started me in the ministry, he wanted to show me this one thing, that everything goes in a process of three. Like, for example, um, you learned last week we were a body, soul, and we were spirit. Well, along with all three of those parts that belong to man, there are three different types of consciousness. There is world conscious, when you pay attention to the things of the world. There is self-conscious, when you start to get involved into yourself and what you like. And then there is God conscious, which is where we ought to be as believers, because overall, what God thinks is more important than anything. Okay, so those are three types of consciousness. There are three words that actually go with that. There is, you know, in the world where you might have felt that you've done something wrong or you didn't get to pursue certain things in life, you may have regret, okay? But then when you realize there's something you might have done to someone else or yourself, the second word you have is remorse, which makes you feel bad about the things that you might have done, but it's not enough to really change you the way that God wants us to. And lastly, when you get to spiritual, that word is repentance. You see, what turns us to following the Lord and doing what the Lord wants us to do is because we really do feel the heart of God. We recognize that when we sin, it is no one else that we have sinned against but God. So you repent because of how you feel that you've done him. He shares his heart with you. You recognize it's no longer my life and the things that I want to do. And also, we are a reflection of God's temple. In the Old Testament, they had an outer court, an inner court, and a holiest of all or most holy place, the Bible would um, refer to it as, well, 
one of the things too concerning that is, you know, it also matches body, soul, and spirit. I don't want to confuse you here, but what the high priest used to do in the old days, he was in the congregation with the other people in the outer court, and then the priest would go into an area called the inner court, which was, you know, a little further inside, but you would make sacrifices there to appease the Lord, okay? You would probably kill a bull or a goat or something that was, you know, that you could offer before the Lord, and you would make the sacrifice there, and then you would walk into the holiest of all places with the blood of the sacrifice to offer unto the Lord, okay? So when we understand how we are as, as people, you know, we can't offer God much in the flesh because God doesn't like the flesh. He doesn't like the desires of the flesh. He doesn't like the things of the flesh. But then God gets us into this self-reflective mode where we recognize, man, I got to change my life. That's always the first thing that comes to us. What I did was wrong. I need to change. I'm a mess. So that's when you're kind of in that soul. And that is the place where you make your sacrifice so that God can take you into the spirit which is where a lot of people need to be, where you become like Christ, okay? Also, there was a pilgrimage that the uh, children of Israel made. You know, uh, God's people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Um, they were down there, and the Egyptians treated them like, you know, had them in slavery, mistreating them. And then when God set them free, he took them to a place called the wilderness where they were supposed to, you know, work things out for him and then go into the promised land, which was the land that God promised Abraham, which is kind of, you know, an allegory for the, for the spirit. Okay. Does that make any sense? Cause I don't want to like throw you off a little bit, but this is really about everything going in three stages. You begin in the world, you go into your soul. And then from there you go into the spirit with God. And, you know, there's, there's so many comparisons we can make with this, but the whole point behind tonight concerning the wilderness is, you know, it's a place that we need to let the Lord take us. It's a place of real faith. It's a place where your trials and your tribulations will take place and you will become tested. Okay, you believe God? How much do you believe God? Because your rent's due tomorrow and you don't have a job. Okay, you know, how much do you believe God? You know, you're sick and... You've got something that doctors will tell you can't be cured, but, you know, we know that our God can do anything. Amen. So, That's you know, right. one thing we want to pay attention to is the wilderness experience because it is the place where we really get our stripes. We have to have an experience like this. I know a lot of Christians paint the picture of just being happy and being with Jesus and feeling good about themselves and everything, but... You need to be able to go through because it's just like any relationship. I can say I love my wife or whatever, but, you know, if my wife and I are the only two on the planet, of course I love her. She's the only one here. But what happens when the relationships get tested and, you know, there's other beautiful women walking around? Do you really still love your wife? You know, so it's just one of those places where we go to and we get tested. Yep. So, um... Also, I want to explain something else about the wilderness before we get in this, but, you know, there might be a lot of reasons why, because the Lord is actually showing this to me. When we were young, I was one of those kids that didn't really want to go to church. I couldn't stand church. 
I hated it with a passion. I mean, every morning I'm arguing with my mom every Sunday. I don't want to go. And my mom was like, well, you're going. But my sisters would look at me like I was demon possessed. Like, man, we're just getting dressed. Why aren't you getting ready to, you know, to go or whatever? And I was like, well, I don't really want to go. But the funniest thing now is that I recognize that it happened to me, not because I'm against my mom's church, but I think that the Lord was trying to protect me from religion is why he had me meet him and get to know him in another place. Now my sisters are calling me, hey, Derek, we need prayer. And I never thought that I would be doing this. But I realized when I was religious and when I was into the world, man, all I cared about was me and doing what I could in the world. But God had to take me to a barren place where I could lose everything, have all faith in him so he could bring me back. So that's why tonight's study is going to be called Children of the Wilderness, because as we recognize, there were many in the Bible, and they all had their special place with the Lord. But I realized that, you know, what killed Jesus Christ was religion. What went against him was the religious world. It wasn't even the Romans. But what ended up happening is Jesus always used people that were in the wilderness. Like, who is this guy? What is his credentials? Where does he come from? Well, he comes from nowhere. He's someone that the Lord chose to come and use. And that's why when Jesus talked about that he was unplugged from the world and the enemy had nothing in him, it's because Jesus had no affiliation to anything except the Father. So I'm not speaking against religion or, you know, certain things, but what I will say is at times it can be difficult to serve the Lord because of tradition, because of things that we've grown up knowing. So what God wants to do is set us free. So let's go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Usually the kid that ends up hating church the most is the one that ends up loving the Lord the most. I mean, and like really getting to know him. It's just so funny like that. Oh, yeah. Psalm 63. This is David's experience in the wilderness because I don't know if we're going to have time to read that tonight. Somebody smells real good. What is this? Like fruit or something. Berries or... Is it, uh, smells good, right? Like peaches or something. Perfume. I know, right? Like I'm a wilderness person. I don't know what perfume is. What is that? I know. All right. So this is Psalm 63. We'll begin at verse 1. And this is the psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in the dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now, you know, David here, just to give you some insight on his story, David was a loyal soldier for a king named Saul. And he was, you know, with his men out there conquering land for them and doing whatever. Well, for whatever reason, Saul was jealous of David because David is the only one that had the guts to stand up to Goliath. And people loved David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a, you know, a tough guy and he had real faith. So Saul got angry and wanted to kill David out of just outright jealousy. So David runs away, you know, to hide and Saul went looking for him. And when David was in a cave, I don't know how long Saul's robe must have been, but while they were hiding, Saul came in looking for David, and David cut off a small piece of Saul's robe 
like I guess the train of his robe and just held on to it. So when Saul was about to leave, David ran out and said, Saul, you know, I know that you're God's anointed. I'm not your enemy. Don't kill me. See, I have a piece of your robe. I could have killed you if I wanted to, but I'm not going to do that. So he cried and Saul kind of let him off the hook a little bit like, okay, you know, well, you're more righteous than I am. But while David was there in fear for his life, he had to endure a lot of things. So while he was in that wilderness, he drew closer to the Lord. His heart began to thirst after the Lord because the wilderness is a barren place. Let's keep that in mind. To seek thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So it is important in many cases that we get into the wilderness because in that place you begin to thirst for God. That's why Jesus said, them that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. You know how many times we have family members and friends try and bring us to the Lord, but it just wasn't that important. But what happened? Hurt, pain, tragedy happened in your life. Loneliness, people you thought would never leave you, walked out of your life. So what happens? God finds that moment. Your heart is open. He comes to you. And all of a sudden, what was sounded so boring is now like, yeah, where are you? I need you. You know, come to me. But unless you were put in that barren place, you just don't have time for God. You know, yeah, 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 I know. I'll make it next week. And next week turns into five years, okay? But when you are in this place of in need, when your heart's been broken, when you've been hurt, man, it's time to call on the Lord. It's almost like that's the only time that you can truly be real with the Lord that I need you. Because other than that, we're just swarming in so much pride from the world that we just don't have the time. All right, verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon thy bed and meditate in the, on thee in the night watches, uh, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of, my, of thy wings will I rejoice. So this is a good place to be with the Lord. When he comes and meets your needs, when you realize that there's no one that you can truly trust in this world except him. Man, this is, a, this is like the best place on earth to be. But he says in verse 6, um, oh, When I remember thee upon thy bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. So, you know, at this point, David is looking out for Saul. But all he's doing is thinking about the Lord. Saul wants to kill him. And David is like, Lord, even while I'm out here paying attention to what's going on, I'm praising you. Even though my life is on the line, you are worth that much to me. All right. It says, Because... Uh, thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. So this is an experience with David where he's becoming very God conscious in this place. He said for those who are out to destroy me that they'll go into the lowest parts of the earth. In other words... They'll go to hell. You'll deal with them. But Lord, I'm just rejoicing and trusting in you. We did a teaching recently on the sons of God where 
you know, it really does show to love is way stronger than to hate or to speak against, to be able to keep your home fortified, to love people that don't love you. I mean, that's a, that's a place of real strength that only God can give you. Verse 10, they shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. So, you know, while David is here rejoicing the Lord, we meet a lot of people in the world that will tell you there's no need for Jesus. You know, they'll put so many things before him or in front of him. And these people are liars. But this just shows us that when we're in that place in the wilderness, those are the best times to call out to the Lord because you need him. And he's the only one that can deliver you from your situation. All right. So let's go to Exodus chapter two. I want to make this point. Exodus chapter 2, and the first child of the wilderness we are going to begin with tonight is Moses and his experience. Oh, we didn't put the thing out. Exodus 2, yeah. Yep, Exodus 2 and verse 1, and it says, And there was a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife and daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid, them three months. she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him uh, an ark and brushes and dubbed and dubbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. So I don't know how, how many in here know the story of Moses, but this was at the time where the king of uh, Egypt wanted to kill all of the firstborn of the children of Israel because he knew that a savior was coming. God said that he would deliver his people. So this king wanted to kill every firstborn. So um, one of the daughters of the Israelites had to like hide her child and put him in a little, you know, ark. like a little ark, right? Filled it with pitch and everything. And she just sent it down the river, hoping that someone would get him so he wouldn't be killed. And his sister stood afar off and wit what uh, would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down and washed herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So, you know, Egyptians are not supposed to mingle with Hebrews, but she had compassion on him because, you know, he's just a baby. So she took him in. And said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she called his name Moses. 
And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So to make this clear, this is like one of those stories from rags to riches. Moses came from nowhere. He was adopted by the Egyptians who had all the power. You know, they had all the wealth. But Moses, one day when he grew up, he came out to find out what was going on with the Hebrews, his people. And he found an Egyptian treating one of the Hebrews like, you know, like they were dirt, just beating them and, you know, trying to get them to work hard. So Moses knew that these were his people. And it seems like he didn't forget them. This is verse 12. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid, in, and hid him in the sand. So, you know, he felt kind of like these people are beating on my people. They're trying to do whatever. I'm not going to forget where I come from. So he went and took vengeance against this Egyptian to help one of his brethren. Verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And uh, he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou fellow? Like, why did you kill that guy? And he said, who made thee a prince and to judge over us? Um, Intents thou to kill me, and thou killest the Egyptian. And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. So Moses is like, I killed this guy. I know that the work is the, it, it's out now, that I did it, so I'm sure they're going to tell the Pharaoh. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by the well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, of water their father's flock. You know what I'm kind of thinking about these seven daughters? It didn't uh, dawn on me before, but when you think about the seven spirits of God and these women are drawing water, these are like the five, the seven spirits that, you know, kind of like the Holy Ghost met Moses in the wilderness. One thing you've got to understand about the Old Testament, it's like a picture format, like things will act, that actually happen will reverence what's happening in the New Testament when God talks about certain things. So it's just kind of funny how they compare. I know I'm probably confusing you right now, but holy you are, we're going to go to Hebrews 11. I just want to make this point real quick and why Moses did this. Hebrews chapter 11. That's toward the back of the Bible. Hey, bro. How's it going? Right. Sarah might be in there. Oh, oh wait, well, then. Okay, I'm like, I don't think there's a lot. No worries. Yeah, right. She chose to go when you got here. Sarah, you can oh. sit in the middle, though. Oh, or it's over here. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Okay, so um, we're going to go to Hebrews 11, and we're going to start at verse... Uh, 23. I just want to make this point and why Moses killed that Egyptian and then he fled. So it says, you guys there? Hebrews 11 verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child 
and they went, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses could have had a perfect life. He could have enjoyed the world. He could have watched the rest of his brethren in bondage. He was pretty much like the Pharaoh's son. So he could have had an easy life if he wanted it. But what does it say in verse 25? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So you see, he could have had it easy, but he chose to follow the Lord and do what the Lord told him to do. So this is the type of type of faithfulness that the wilderness will bring out of us and what the Lord wants us to do. The Lord wants us to love him and not the world. It's not that he can't give us things in the world, but what he wants first and foremost is loyalty to him. But if we're linked to the things of the world or we love things of the world more than him, then what we will be to God is disloyal. You know, we'll find ourselves when we should be praying, we're off doing the things that we want to do. And, you know, God is, he knows that we're growing in grace, but those kind of things bother him. So it was faith that Moses killed this Egyptian because, you know, he saw injustice and then he had to flee. But Moses didn't have to do that. He could have been disloyal, stayed with the world, not have cared for the children of Israel, and God would have dealt with, you know, I mean, he would have just been fine. God would have had to choose someone else. So in order to really do the will of the Lord, Moses had to leave where he was in order to follow the Lord. Okay, so I just wanted to make that point real quick. Let's go to um, Exodus chapter 3. We're not going to go to um, 2 anymore. But this is Moses fleeing. He went into the wilderness and he ran for his life there. It's going to come together, guys. I promise. Just a lot of information to put out. Exodus 3 and 1. So this was a guy that had it made and he left it just to do the will of the Lord. So this is Exodus 3. Everybody there will begin at verse 1 and it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to a mountain um, of God, even to Horeb. So what was he? Another word for a wilderness is like desert, like a barren land. So he went to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. So imagine seeing something on fire, but it's not actually burning. It's just the presence of God that's on it. And Moses said, I will, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to thee, uh, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am, or here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. But off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereof thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of the Father, of um, the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard thy cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. 
So Moses goes out, he flees for his life. I just want everybody to get this. He goes into a barren place and he meets the Lord for the first time in his life. And the Lord is telling him, Moses, I'm glad you're here because what I'm recognizing is my people that you left back there, they're suffering. Their taskmasters are cruel. They're slaves. They're in bondage. So he's intending to do something with um, Moses. And then he says in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto the good land and a, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. So what does God intend to do? He explains to Moses, my people are stuck there. I intend to bring them from this hard bondage into a land that flows with milk and honey. What does God intend to do with you and I? He intends to take us from hard bondage unto a place that flows with milk and honey, and that is to have the Spirit of God, where God will take care of every need, everything that you want, and this is why he wants us to draw closer to him and not rely on the world. Because all you get out of the world is heartache. I mean, I can tell you, it, it starts out like, you know, no, everything is good, everything is fine. Sure, you can have fun here, but you never get to the conclusion of the matter, which is God's favor in your life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is it that you want me to do? So these things are important that we get to know the Lord and the source of life. Why? That we might inherit eternal life. Now, when I was working on Wall Street, I didn't think about any of this because the money was good. I was a six-figure salary guy, living it up, living like hell, you know, doing what I wanted. But as you start to get older, you start to recognize that it's almost like being around the block more than once. You can just tell that there's nothing here. I mean, even though there's things that you can do, there's still so much disappointment. It's like seeing the same story being played over and over and over again. So, one second, sir. But the thing that he does is like he'll start to take away the desire for this world. A lot of things in it. Things I thought that I wanted so much of, I don't want anymore. I dread going to work. I hate working, and it's not because of where I work. It's not because of the kids. It's because I know what it is, especially during that summer, to have a real freedom to talk to people about Jesus, to lay hands on the sick, and hope that people come to the Lord. He has given me a taste of what it is to be in the Spirit and to have that freedom. But as we talked about in other previous teachings, like the False Promised Land and others, you know, we might think that we're free. Uh, did you guys see that movie, The Matrix? Y'all did watch it. Well, we watched it, but we didn't really watch it. We just talked about God in the way. So y'all need to we watch it individually. Own, but we were really, really <laughs> into the, like, it was like our own Bible study. <laughs> no, awesome, awesome. But, right, but the point that I'm making is it's like, it's, um, you recognize that so many things we think are real in this world, they just aren't. So God wants to take us out of the unreal and bring us unto the real, that which is hidden, you know, from us, that the enemy does not want us to know. The devil knew that he couldn't treat us like the children of Israel, you know, in hard bondage. He knew that that would get under your skin eventually, and you would start rebelling and trying to leave. So what did he do? 
He gave you a slavery that you would enjoy. And I'm going to say that again. He gave you a slavery that you would enjoy. What, they, what do they call it? The American dream. All right? I don't know what they call it in other countries, but, you know, he thinks by, or we think by, man, just having so much and what we call making it, that it really does blind our minds from what God wants. So God told Moses here, I intend to bring these people into a land that flows with milk and honey. So you would say, what's the difference? Okay, you got a point, didn't you? Just something quick. Yeah, go ahead. What you said earlier, you know, how you said Melissa likes to call it Satan's hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. Or you're going 900 miles an hour around a racetrack. Mm -hmm. You know, like people who professionally race. It's like, you're going fast, but for what reason? Yeah, you know, just to just go around, around again. Yeah. And again. And again. <laughs> you were going to say something, Christina, or no? I thought you had... Zombies. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like walking in that um, unreality. I mean, you're just doing it again and again. So um, the point I was making is that we can have all these things we want in our lives, but you're really not free. Because if you quit your job, what's going to happen? You're not going to have any money. You'll, you won't have a place to live. Then you got to worry about what you're going to eat. So what does that do? Make you reliable upon, relying upon the system. This system has to... Has to sustain me this is the only world that i know but what god wants to do is tell you these things are what are holding you back i'm not speaking against working i'm talking about a relationship with the lord that these things can bind you when you want to pray sometimes you work so hard you get home you're too tired you just don't have the time and even when you do somebody's calling you about tomorrow or school will pick up the rest of what you had to deal with at work and you think you got peace no, you don't. You got a 20-page paper to write, you know? And this is for it to get A's and to graduate and do all these things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but I do recognize many of these things have become a distraction to us. It's kept us from doing God's will. Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That's something to think about. You mean to say that all that I did was for nothing? And the Lord is like, that's right, but absolutely nothing. And you would say, but wait a minute, but I got married and had a family. That's good. So is that important? Not really. I mean, you know, you, you were able to get married and have kids and do things, but do you know me? So there's going to come an end of time where there is a judgment mm -hmm. where we're either going to know the Lord or we aren't. And if we knew that what this world was doing was taking a blanket and pulling it over our eyes, then we can believe that this is the only reality. And then the coming of the Lord, you know, the veil gets pulled back and you find out, man, there was more to life than what I thought. That's the bondage that the enemy wants you to enjoy. And that's why he said in Hebrews 11 that Moses enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season because pleasure, sin is pleasurable for a season. But what is the end result behind sin? Then you recognize distance from the Lord, condemnation, used and abused, mm -hmm. probably got a disease. You know, there's a lot of things that can come from that is what I'm saying. Yep. So, you know, the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. So you can go out and enjoy your life and do whatever you want. But as we talked about last week, how that rebel has built this system up just to draw people in. What God is trying to do is get his people back. Sarah and I were laughing one day when we... um. I think dropped James Sunday 
But we were talking about how dumb sheep are. Like, sheep are really dumb. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a farm and you've seen them interact with them. They are dumb. The only thing they know how to do is eat and sleep. They are dumb. But God always refers to his people as sheep because in many cases, we don't even know that there's danger over the hill. We don't know that five feet from there, there's a wolf waiting to eat one of you. And they just run off in their stupidity. And then he's like, go back the other way. And then they, you know, and then just go back. But they just look, they even look dumb, don't they? I mean, sheep don't look bright at all. I saw one of them run into a picket fence. I mean, like, while he was, like, trying to get told to go left or whatever, he runs top speed into the fence and then just falls down and lays there. And had to be out there. Right. But when you think about it, that's how dumb we are when it comes to knowing what's in the spirit. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to insult us here tonight. I'm just saying that the enemy knows that we are sheep also. So he's trying to be our shepherd to lead us away from the Lord. But God wants his people. Exactly. Because when you are in Egypt, you are sustained by the world. You're sustained by the enemy. When you get into the wilderness, you're sustained somewhat by the Lord in yourself. But when you reach the promised land, then you become that source that God flows through unto others. That says a lot about our growth. When we go from being taught unto teaching... And I'm not saying we won't always be, you know, teaching and things like, oh, learning, of course. But there come stages in our walks where the Lord begins to flow through you. And that's what you call full maturity. When you reach that level of total organic growth, when God is now speaking through you and he's feeding you instead of you. Well, of course, you're going to have to stick with him, but the roles are different. God begins to give you more trust. It's like giving the difference between giving your 10-year-old your car keys and your 25-year-old. Well, hopefully they're not still at home. I don't know, but you know what I mean? But your car keys, where you know that there's a responsibility. I trust you more. You can go. We want to get to that place with the Lord where we have that strength, where we have that trust, okay? Because God doesn't really, he wants to trust you, but he knows that we're ignorant to a lot of things. So we need to stay close to him. But go ahead, sir. And also because the Lord, I mean, this is also showing how much the Lord loves us is because the choices that we make will, like the choices that the children of Israel made, they they were led into Egypt because of that. Mm-hmm. And we are led into our own Egypt because of decisions that we make early in life. We mm-hmm. think, oh, you know, the Lord's trying to tell you, I don't want you to get with this person. I don't want you to go here. They're bad for you. This guy's a bum. This place is just filled with nothing of but disease and cesspools. And we're like, but Lord, this is fun. This is how I'll be accepted in life. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we forget those bad decisions that mm-hmm. we make. And when life doesn't end up the way we want it, first thing we want to do is blame God. Mm-hmm. And he will allow us to stay in that Egypt time period for a while because he knows that if he pulls us out of it right mm-hmm. then, we'll fall apart. So he's going to let, let us stay there until, like you're saying, we, we grow, and then he's going to start slowly pulling us into the wilderness because it's like, all right, you're ready for this now. Mm-hmm. But if I were to take you out sooner, if I were to take you out of the place that you asked for, that hard bondage, you wouldn't be ready for it. No, it's it's really true. And, I mean, this these things take trust. They take time. You know, because I used to think if I lost my job or whatever, man, I'd be doomed. 
I know now that's not the case for standing for the jo- for the Lord, losing a couple of jobs. God will take care of you. That's, right. that's one of the best places you can be with him because you really will trust him. You will know what it is. I mean, when you're persecuted, when people will call you names just for mentioning his name, you know, it's just one of those places where you want the Lord's favor in your life. All right, this is verse 9, and he says, Now therefore, oh, I read that part. This is verse 10. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? So as you can see, Moses is self-conscious. Moses is looking at himself Lord, who am I to go to a king of Egypt, which is the world power at that time, and I'm going to, you know, tell him to let these people go? I'm just a mere man. You know, this is what he's saying. Verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So God didn't say, if you manage to bring them out, he said, when these people, when these people are delivered, because God is making clear, it's going to happen. All you've got to do is trust me. But if you notice, God was able to use someone that turned on the world. He was the enemy of the world. The world was looking for him. He killed one of the enemy. And now he ran to a place of refuge. And, and the God is saying, I can use you. Why? Because your affiliation, I know, is not to them. You can't go back and live that life because if they see you, they'll kill you. You know also what's happening to the people of God. So you want to come and serve me. You know, you came to take vengeance because you know that this is your enemy. So you see, an enemy of the world is what God will use. Why? Because he has no choice but to sell out to Jesus. That's what God is looking for, because as long as we're, we're held up by the world, man, we, see, we might have little glimpses where we may lay hands on the sick and they recover. You know, we may get signs and visions. We may speak with tongues. But what God wants is a loose colt that he may ride him into town. That's what God wants. He wants a person that is set free unto his will that he can use at any time. But he knows that if we're tied to the world, yeah, there's certain things we'll be able to do, but we can't quite do what he wants because these things still mean something to us. Does that make sense? I mean, am I scaring everybody? Like, what are you saying? Go out in the desert? No, I'm just saying that, you know, there's a, there's a freedom that God is looking for. All right, so verse 13 and Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is thy name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So God is even saying, My name here is not important. You just do what I tell you to do. So you see, God intends that when he sets us free, when we have this experience in the wilderness where all we know is God and we know that he is who he says he is, he then takes you and puts you back into the world so that you can liberate others. This is what 90% of the church is missing out on. 
They might invite people to church, but they're not bringing people unto winning a soul. Mm -hmm. Inviting someone to church is not the same as winning a soul. I'm not saying that there aren't saved people in church. There are. But the point I'm making is, is that when you invite people there, a lot of people go, they get entertained, and they become religious, but they don't really go or mature fully in Christ to where they're out there on the streets preaching the word of God. Mm -hmm. When Jesus Christ, or when Paul says that God gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave pastors, he gave evangelists, he gave uh, teachers for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Okay, so that's what God truly wants for us. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with church. What I'm saying is there comes a point through time with Jesus where we mature to the point of a prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, or evangelist. And you see, a lot of people can't see themselves doing the work of the Lord. Mm -hmm. They can't. A lot of people will not go forward with this because they're like, no, man, I just want to, you know, watch a good show and everything. I don't want to get involved in this. But what God intends for us to do is to grow to the point to where when our obedience is fulfilled, when we're not hypocrites, when we can tell people the truth and live that lifestyle, we can go right into the world and tell people about their need for Jesus. Why? Because we have become authentic. So that's important that we understand this. The end game behind the gospel is only to mature you that Christ may live in you, walk in you, and souls will get saved. And a lot of people are not teaching people that. Why? Because the money is good. If you get sold out for Jesus and you start doing the will of Jesus Christ, then I can't make any money off of you. So what do I do? Give you a few lines and a sermon. You know, hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully you come back for more. But God wants us to reach the point of maturing, Christ knowing you, you knowing him, and walking with him. So this is what Moses was sent to do in the wilderness, that he might come back and win over the children of Israel. If Moses would have stayed Pharaoh's son, if Moses would have looked at, well, there is still some good in Egypt. I mean, after all, they took care of me up until, I think Moses was 40 here when he left. Moses was 40 years old when he ran away. But I'm just saying, imagine being 40 and you just, well, the Pharaoh's daughter did treat me nice. I can't go and do something like that to these people. See, Moses would have been world conscious and self-conscious. But what did God want Moses to be? God conscious. And why did God do that? How did he do it? He revealed himself to Moses so that Moses would have more faith. That's yeah. That's Sorry. kind of a really good example, too, of how Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, so under basically the world or society, mm -hmm. living his own life the way he wanted to live, um, and not taking care of himself, not going out into the wilderness and learning responsibility or mm -hmm. those skills that he was taking care of, like he's mm -hmm. in the kingdom. That's right. And then at 40, you know, a lot of us in our, in our lives take a long time before we're finally ready to separate and be like, I'm going to really seek God mm -hmm. and go after him mm -hmm. and go into that place of where true. you have nothing and trusting him. But see, what I think what made Moses respond the way he did is because it was very real to him that his people were in bondage. Yeah. See, right now, we don't know we're slaves. We are, but we don't think so. So while that veil is being pulled over us, we feel like, no, we're free. There's nothing to worry about. But when bondage gets hard, then you can see, and God opens your eyes, 
Man, this ain't good. There's nothing good about this. Look at what's going on here. But it takes God to open your eyes that you can see this. An interesting point, Christina brought that up. 40 years Moses spent um, in Egypt. Then he spent another 40 in the wilderness. Moses was 80 years old when he came out to win people to the Lord. And why did, he, why did that happen? Because Moses had to get the Egypt out of him. He had to believe God. As long as we've got the world in us, I'm telling you, it's good to hear the word. and It's good to grow and have a relationship with the Lord. But when it comes to boots on the ground, doing the work, man, we have got to have the world out of us. Because let's just say I decide tomorrow, you had something too, right? Yeah, I did, but go ahead. Okay, but when I, just let's just say tomorrow at a meeting, because we're going to have one after work, and I go up in there and I say, you know what, y'all really need to find Jesus, you know, and everything, and that's the real problem here. And they're like, well, this is school. I'm like, yeah, I know that, but we need Jesus in here. Now, let's just say my boss comes to me and says, I want to talk to you later, you know, or whatever, and then shut your mouth. Don't you ever bring that up in here again, or you're going to have to find another job. And if I were to say, all right, I understand what you're saying. You know, I was just trying to see God. He's done using me at that point. Not that he won't use me again, but you see how far I can go before running back to Egypt? Because I'm afraid. But if I'm God conscious, I'm like, wait a minute. You don't tell me nothing about whatever. I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. And I still say that these kids need the Lord, you know, but... That's when you are conscious of Christ. But see, when this world is real to you, you won't fight it because some of it is in you. And God wants to take it out of you. Does anyone have any questions or don't understand what I'm saying? I'm not starting a revolt. I'm just trying to say that unless we are free of a lot of the desires of the world, we can't do what the Lord says fully. Yeah. Just something real quick as in comparison, because it says in the beginning how he was placed in an ark and he was in Egypt for 40 years. Kind of goes back to the flood. Mm -hmm. They were in an ark and they were out, you know, it rained for 40 days and mm -hmm. 40 nights. And to some degree, they were actually in the wilderness. It was just on water. That's right. That's right. Let's go to uh, Numbers 13. Numbers 13, we'll start at verse 28. that you brought up not only would be 40 years in Egypt but then the 40 years in the wilderness mm -hmm. that it took him that long to grow spiritually mm -hmm. and I know like for me like after I got on fire for the Lord and just even my first year like I just felt like I was there you know like I <laughs> like once I just like started to know a lot more and mm -hmm. then like the Lord has continued having to humble me and be like oh you have a lot of work to do that's right <laughs> Well, we all do. Yeah. The Bible calls that zeal, not according to knowledge. Like we can get puffed up real quick about we're going to do something. And the Lord is like, sit your ignorant butt down and let me teach you the word. You're excited, but you need to learn some more here. All right. So this is the story of the children of Israel. Moses did eventually free them with 10 plagues. This is when he even parted the Red Sea and he did all these things for them. And they're at the end of making it through the wilderness. They left Egypt through all types of, you know, danger and trouble. So they're at the end of the wilderness and they're looking over and they're seeing the promised land. But what they're seeing in the land is kind of scaring them because they didn't know that there would be giants in the land. And I mean, I know a lot of people um, have a funny thing about this. They don't believe that they were giants, but they were. 
Okay, there is there is biblical evidence. There is also historical proof that the giant tribes of one point or another did exist. Okay, they have skeletons. They hired them. Guys, look it up. Look up the truth about Nephilim giants if you don't believe me. But um, science hides a lot of this because they don't want people to know that the Bible can be real. Okay, so there are a lot of people, even within the occult today, I shouldn't even be talking about this, but... There are, there are plenty of celebrities that are in the world that have six fingers and six toes, okay? And you guys can actually figure that out why. But there are, there are people in the world. Oprah is one of them. Oprah has six toes, okay? Oprah is not a celebrity because she's a celebrity. It's not because she's a good talk show host. I'm going to let you guys, you know, I'll, I'll talk about that at another time. But she's not alone. There are many others out there that have six toes or, or six fingers, one of the two. But it's supposed to be symbolic for something because the giants themselves had six fingers and six toes. And even double sets of teeth could be. But yeah, that sounds crazy. But that being said, they were the greats. They were like the greats of old or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The mighty men of renown. Yeah. The men of old, yeah. When people talk about Greek mythology, that wasn't no fantasy. That was reality. That's what really went on in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot and all that stuff. I wonder if those were the ones that actually built some of these things that seem impossible. Oh, yeah. They're actually talking about that, how Cain's family and the others built a lot of these structures that people are looking at today and saying, these guys must have known a lot of math to make the pyramids and put them right underneath you know the the constellations and all this stuff so yeah there's a lot of truth surrounding this they even got you guys ever heard that tv show ancient aliens that's what they're trying to tell people about but they're trying to say it's aliens versus fallen angels i know y'all gonna be ready to lock me up in the nut house but this is reality no, i've, I've watched some like crazy youtube video of a believer in christ who mm -hmm. had that revelation and dream and he's like freaking out about it and then God had come and like told him the mm -hmm. history and what was really happening, like mm -hmm. an out of body experience, and it was like actually aliens trying to get him. Mm -hmm. But then God showed him that it was really demons, um, yeah, demons, uh, satanic, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and the more real this thing becomes, the more unreal it's gonna get. But you see, when you're a slave, you're told what to think, you're told what to feel, you're told what is real. And what is not real. But when you step behind that veil, you realize there's so much that they don't tell us. Okay, so um, we're going to start at verse 27. So they look over and they see the giants. And it says, And they told him and said, We came unto the land, whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. So what did they do? They went and they brought in this in this land of giants. They had some big fruit, big cluster of grapes that it took two men to carry. So I mean the fruit over there was lush. Like it was it was amazing. Then it says, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. These are all tribes of giants they're speaking of. And Caleb, who was one of the children of Israel, stilled the people uh, before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. 
So as you can see, Caleb is a man of faith. He said, you know what? I don't care if there's giants. I don't care if they got the Incredible Hulk over there. We're going over there because God said that this is our land and we are well able to overcome it. Yeah, Christina. Um, there is different tribes of giants. Yes. Um, like, what does that mean? Oh, well. Like different kinds? These are all, yes. These are all from the seed of, um, these are, these are tribes from the seed of Esau and these are tribes from the seed of Ham. Okay. okay? Like, these are two different uh, groups, but... The Amalekites, we have, we, did you ever hear that teaching? I don't think you were with us at the time, but we did a full study on, there were giants in the earth in those days, but they all did different things. But yes, these are different tribes. Like there are different children of Israel. Does it explain that in that study? Yeah. Some of these giants actually were a part of other, you know, groups. It's just like you got, you know, tribes of black people, white people, this, that, but you know, we're all human beings. Well, they were all giants, but they lived differently. They all had the same gods. The giants are like fallen angels, right? Well, the giants were the children of the fallen angels. Okay, so they were, the fallen angels came down and bred with humans, and those were the giants. And they, they formed the giants, yeah. Yep. They really big. Yeah, they were huge. Some of them got, um, I know that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. When it says the sons of God, it's the name Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing it says in Job 1 and 2 where it says in, uh, that God met with you know the angels and it actually is the same word mm -hmm. in Hebrew because Satan came amongst them. Right. Yeah. And an Amalekite is a dweller in the valley. That's what Amalekite means. Amorites mean like sayers. Like they were into witchcraft or whatever it was they were doing. Canaanites were considered like zealous. That was the name of their tribe. Maybe they were just ones that were just quick to go and beat up people. I don't know. But Anak um, or Anakim means long-necked. Or Emims means terrorists. So they all had a different way about them, but they were all giants. Yeah. There was um, one group where they claimed that they um, would watch people go over to the cliff and look and would kick them over and, you know, kick them right off the cliff and they'd eat them. Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference between, okay, so giants are a mix between the fallen angels and humans, but what's the difference between a giant and a demon? And there's no more giants around, right? Then they get all wiped out. No, there's no difference between giants and demons. Except one is physical, the other is spiritual. Okay, so one had a body, a host body, and then the other one, demons are Giants are the spirit, I mean, demons are the spirits of the giants. Okay. That's where they come from. Like okay. when they were killed in the flood and everything else. That's who torments us today. So you guys, you can see the giants never went anywhere. And this is another example that when we're trying to make it into the promise and what God wants for us, guess who's holding us back? Guess who's standing in front of the promise land telling you that guy with the bald head and glasses is talking crazy. Don't listen to him. You know, he's, you know, hey, this might be a little scary. Don't get into it. Oh, instead of praying, why don't you go home and sleep? Why don't you go and do this? Demons still try to influence people to not follow the Lord. You know, so as you can see, the giants never went anywhere. It's spiritual now. Yeah. So the giants made the structures that can't really be explained. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so the people who are really like 
into them and believe that they were, do they believe that they were aliens then? Well, they, they claim that some of them thought of them as gods, and I would agree. You know, when the fallen angels came down, they came down unmasked, you know, full tilt in front of the Egyptians or in the days of Noah and other areas. Even some of the Egyptian pharaohs had elongated skulls. That's why they would wear those headdresses. But they had like that alien-shaped head. You know, you can even look that up. King Tut had a head like that. There was quite a few. But these are things they don't tell you in society. But yes, they did influence mankind to do these things. The Never Book of Enoch so even tells you that. Huh? So it's not good. Well, they taught... It's, it's almost like if you show a kid something too early, they grow up thinking they're grown or that they're independent aside like from... Like all the kids in our exactly. right now? Right, like aside from parents or, you know, whatever. It's kind of like they get... Um, rebellious. So the fallen angels taught mankind things, a lot of things they shouldn't have known. Some of those things were witchcraft. Some of those things were, you know, makeup, you know, because they knew it would entice men. There were a lot of jewels and trinkets and things like that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with makeup, but, you know, you notice how it's being used today. Men see women made up and all of a sudden their lust goes into overdrive, you know. So it's like the enemy taught them how to do certain things, how to make breastplates and shields and stuff like that to um, kill one another on the land. So, yeah, they taught man a lot, a lot of things that they should not have known. And God didn't want to. God didn't want man knowing on. angels and humans and giants and monsters. Right. Mm -hmm. when, it, when it says, I mean, the, the only thing you really can base their size off of is what it says right here. We seem like grasshoppers in our eyes. And they found statues of them. I mean, not statues. They found remains of them 36 feet long. But we, we did a teaching on that because I don't want to get off the subject tonight. But, uh, yeah, you can look it up. There's a guy, Steve Quayle. He talks about the Giants all the time. David Hatchett Childress, another guy. He talks about the Giants and all this stuff. But, yeah, you can look it up. They even have you know, um, pictures of them dug up in the earth. The man looks like a little egg, and you see the giant body, like, stretched out. I mean, these things had two sets of teeth, six fingers and six toes. They were monsters, and they were they were super intelligent. That's why they're bringing back movies like Jack and the Beanstalk and all these other movies, because people are going to find out these things were not legends. These things were things that really happened, you know, but they're trying to Put it in a story form, but you're gonna. There's a lot of giant stuff going on today. A lot of movies about giants. A lot of movies about the Avengers and all this stuff. You know, we. I don't want to get too far off the subject because, you know, it's a. Uh, we've done teachings on it though. But if anybody's interested, go to soundoftrumpetministries.com. Look up a teaching called "There Were Giants in the Earth in Those Days," and then there's another one we actually put in detail called. Um, well, what are demons? That's the, that's another teaching where it, it explains a lot of stuff. I mean, not that I don't want to answer it, but it's like we're getting way out there. People are already yeah. like, all right, he's nuts. Turn it off, you know. So Caleb told the people that they would be more, they can overcome this stuff. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go against the, uh, the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report in the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, 
The land through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. So as you can see, these people were afraid. They said that there's no way in the world we can conquer these giants. You know, and at this point, God had already opened the Red Sea. He's done so many miracles for them. God is telling them, guys, go over there and take the land. I gave it to you. But they saw these giants, and you only got a handful of people that are saying, yeah, let's do it. But you got everybody else saying, no, did you hear? These giants eat people. We saw it ourselves. We're not going over there. All right, so this is, this is the argument, verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which uh, come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, as so we were in their sight. So as you can see, the giants are who kept these guys from wanting to go in. These guys were afraid, but God told them to take the land. The one reason why we don't step out into the wilderness pursuing the Lord and doing what he wants, we're afraid of these giants. Now, these giants are not long-necked and all that other stuff, six fingers, six toes, but they do hold a lot of power like your job. They do hold, you know, a lot of sway like your husband or your wife or money or whatever it is that you're after. These giants will keep you from going forward if you believe that they're the ones that are sustaining you. God wants you to trust him. So look at verse uh, chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? So now they're blaming the very people trying to liberate them, trying to show them, All right, guys, you need to come over here. We need to believe God. But these people are blaming them, saying, Oh, well, how could God want us to go out there and die? That's what happens when you tell people about the wilderness and, and trust in the Lord. People will tell you, well, oh, so would God want me to lose my job? What about my wife? What about my kids? What about God? You know what I'm saying? That's the thing that we need to think about. Get out of the natural mind and have a spiritual mind to believe him. But it's not an overnight process. This comes with trusting him, faith, trial and tribulation. Yeah. Said and done, but if you really are trusting in God and have faith, you're not your first thing isn't going to be worry about those things, even though you love your family and everything like that. But you trust God so much to um, cast your cares upon Him that He's mm -hmm. going to take care of them no matter what. That's right, so. absolutely. This is verse 3 And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? So that's a slap in God's face. He brings you all this way, shows you that all you need is him. And they're saying, wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt other than to trust in God? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly and the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them uh, that searched the land, rent their clothes. So these guys are angry because they're like, we can't go into the land. There's only a handful of people that believe this truth, and everyone else is afraid. So these guys took their clothes and like, you know, they're mad. You know, they just rent their clothes. So then he says, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, 
The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Milk and honey is a type of Holy Ghost or God's substance. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Um, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So as you can see, because I know we don't have a whole lot of time to go into this, but these two guys are trying to get everybody to believe God, but most of the people won't. So God says, how long will I go with this evil congregation of people that don't believe in me? And that kind of hits home even for me too, because I know that God wants to do more in this ministry and more through me, but there's things that I'm still doing in the world, you know, and it's almost like he's telling me, I can just feel those words. How long am I going to go with these people that don't believe me? Even after all I've shown them, even after all I've proved, they still don't believe in me. So that's what he said. All right. Um, I just want to read this one part. So when the Lord says that, Moses tries to tell the Lord, no, remember, you promised, you said you would bring them out and you are the mighty God and you have, you are long suffering and you're loving and you're all powerful. And he was like trying to root for the Lord. Like, yeah, come on, Lord, show us what you can do again. But this is the 10th time that God tried to get these people to follow him and they wouldn't. So it says, and this is verse, uh, no, I want to go to verse 19. It says, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast given this people um, from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness... And have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. So this is a dangerous place with the Lord. Now, again, this was what happened to Israel right now. We live in a period of grace where, where the Holy Ghost is trying to urge us to pursue the Lord. You know, drop the vanity. Forget the things that you think are so important. Come after me. We've got work to do. But you see, these people didn't want to, and God is saying... You know what? I gave them chance after chance, and these guys don't believe me. So then it says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and have followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. So he made clear, okay, Joshua and Caleb were good men. They believed me, they're getting in. But for those who don't believe, he said that their carcasses will fall in the wilderness. They will not see the promise. So this was God giving up. Now, God wouldn't give up on us today because, like I said, we're in a period of grace. God wants us to have the spirit and to pursue him. But when Paul says in the New Testament, don't frustrate the grace of God, when he says, don't grieve the Holy Ghost. It's because many cases the Holy Ghost wants to win a soul. Do you know, I started to read those statistics, 90-something percent, I think it's like 96% of church people, of Christians, 
have never won a soul to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Never won one person to God. One person. And that is the beginning of your growth. When you teach the gospel and your gospel is true, people will hear it, people will believe it, and people will come out of your loins to, to believe the words of God. That's how you make disciples. But when you can't even win a soul to the Lord, then you got to ask yourself, what are we doing? Because anything that, that has the life of God in it will produce after its own kind. But if you don't have it, you're either spiritually dead or you're grieving the Holy Ghost. And that's why it's important that we go through that experience in the wilderness trusting the Lord. Now, there are different levels of the wilderness. Some can just be putting more time into God and not into other things. And in doing so, you are going to be tried. Things are going to test you. People are going to dare you to speak up for the name of Jesus. And guess what? If he's who he is, if he is who you say he is, you'll speak up for him. But if not, you can go 100 miles from here and nobody will know you're a Christian. That's how important it is that we get to know Jesus. Because if, if you've been a Christian and we've been saved and we haven't won one person to the Lord, then we got to really ask ourselves, what have you been doing? What have you really been doing? Are you really a Christian? Do you really believe? You got to think about that. Mm -hmm. Because what God intended for us to do to be saved is to win souls. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we got to be there right away. I'm saying this is the end game. But you see, as long as we're in Egypt, as long as we're trapped, as long as we're afraid of those giants, we will never do the things that God wants us to do. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we, you know, sometimes we need to be shut in with the Lord. You get a week into yourself, you know what you do, man? I'm staying in and praying. I'm staying in and fasting. I'm going to have a Bible in my hand this weekend. And I'm shutting out everything else. Why? Because I'm seeking the face of God. That's your own wilderness in itself. Being separated to give the Lord time. And, you know, I've gone through spurts of this. There were times, man, I've led quite a few people to the Lord. And then there were times I led nobody to the Lord. You know what the problem is? Flesh. Flesh. Desiring the things that God doesn't want. Mm -hmm. Taking time away from the things that God wants us to have. But I've noticed when you get red hot for Jesus, man, he works with you. So you see, these people died in the wilderness. But if you go, let's go to Joshua 5 real quick. I just want to make this point. And it's like when you really do get filled with the Holy Ghost and you're seeking after the Lord through prayer and fasting and just cutting the world out, you, you really do lose the desire for everything in this world that keeps us, you know, from doing His will. And you start to see things a lot more clearly. Like, yeah, the world's going to try and tug on us and it's a daily battle. But if we stay focused on the Lord over time, like mm -hmm. say we're growing in grace, it does become a lot easier. Man, I'm beginning to really hate this place. I'm telling you. I'm like to a point when I'm sitting in a meeting at work and they're talking about all this garbage. Man, I'm just sitting there like, this is garbage, man. I'll turn to James. This is garbage, what they're talking about. You know, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to them, but I just don't have a desire for that. I want to work for the Lord. I want his, I want Jesus Christ in 2018 living and working in me. Why? Because I'm sick of my God becoming a laughing stock to the world. Amen. I'm sick of Egypt telling you that your God is fake. Mm -hmm. I'm sick of them telling them, well, how do we know he existed? And we want to get to the point where we don't come to talk about Jesus. We come to demonstrate Jesus because he's living in you. Amen. 
The power of God is real, but it is Egypt. It's these giants. It's refusing to go into this wilderness that God can't be used. Mm -hmm. God wants to use you. You don't think he wants to show up and show the world that he is God? But we've got to be willing vessels. We've got to give it to him. And I know a lot of people are not telling people about this. Why should they? They don't want you to grow up. All right, this is Joshua 5, and it came to pass. This is verse 1. Uh, and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So it looks like the tide has turned. And I meant to mention this in Numbers 14, but God said that those people that were complaining against going in, that they would die in the wilderness and their children, 20 years old and under, would go into the land. I'm beginning to see that now. There is a younger generation of people. I'm telling you, the younger people, when you explain this, they're eating this stuff up. They are like, man, yeah, where is the devil so we can go and deal with him? These young people are bold, man. They're like, I don't care. I mean, I get it. I see what's going on. But you got a lot of the older people, no disrespect, but people like in their 50s, 60s, my parents' age and otherwise, a lot of them just want to be religious. Man, child, leave me alone. I just want to go to church. Let me serve the Lord. That's what most of them want. But you got this younger generation man, let's do this. I mean, you got young people everywhere. So I think God is getting ready to do the same thing. You got a lot of people that went no farther than the wilderness or Egypt. I'm happy here. I don't want to go any further. You've got a younger generation. It looks like God is raising up that is going to do a work for him. Yep. I'm telling you, that religion is what scares you. So now that they've made their way across this river, they're coming after the giants now because they already took care of a couple of tribes. No, they were getting ready to walk in. Now that they're coming, these giants have heard about what God has done for the children of Israel. So now their hearts are melting and they're afraid because these guys are coming for them. So the tide has turned. He's got a younger, stronger generation that says, let's do this. And you can see the enemy is backing up. That's what God wants. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of their foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way. After they came out of Egypt, now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they uh, came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. So what did he do this for? He wanted to take away the reproach of Egypt. It's the same thing God did to Moses. That circumcision, even though it was a physical circumcision, it was still like laying back the world, getting rid of the world so that they could do war with the Amorites and all the giant tribes. So, right. So what we do today is we don't cut our foreskins like they did just to try and prove that we're saved. What What is being done now is we find ourselves separated unto God, praying, fasting, seeking him. 
spending time in fellowship with other believers, growing in Christ. You know, I love the babes in Christ. Don't think I don't because I'm talking all this war stuff. I love the babes in Christ. I want them to grow, get stronger with the Lord. And, you know, things may seem strange now that you eventually will get stronger with and have more faith in. But, you know, this is all a part of the nurturing process to be used of the Lord. So I just wanted to bring that point forward. They came and the Lord met them as they were coming to go into Jericho. We don't have time to read all this because there's real important things we need to get into before it's over. Yeah. Can I just make a real quick point yeah. about like, the church singing and religion? Mm -hmm. um, I heard this pastor say, you know, it, I, it's important to go to church and worship and stuff like that, but you guys really need to get into a life group because when you get into a life, life group, that's when you really experience the Holy Ghost and healing and repentance and sanctification because you have a closeness with fellow believers mm -hmm. where you can just talk through stuff and actually get to know the Bible. And that like hit me so hard. And I'm like, that's why I feel like this ministry and the Bible study has helped me so much grow. Um, but mm -hmm. it was good to see somebody in church, like a pastor say that to mm -hmm. his people, like don't just sit in church. Absolutely. I mean, cause there's, there's some pastors that really do want people to grow, but others are religious. I mean, I'm being honest with you. There are some that truly want it, and he's absolutely right. You've got to be around fellow believers. It's a lifeline. You know, you guys strengthen one another when you're down. But, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a believer is that he becomes religious. Because a believer could be in the world raising hell. Think about it. When you were in the world, you didn't take stuff from people. Someone said something to you, and you were right back at them. So why do we get the spirit and all of a sudden become afraid? Why do we become all, where we were in the world yelling, yo, you know, do this, blah, blah, blah. But now we're, well, brother, I want you to understand. And I mean, what happened to your heart? This is what I'm trying to say. I'm not making fun of anybody that speaks that way. The point I'm making is you can become religious where you think that's a Christian. You see the way they sound? That's what a Christian would do. When Jesus was calling them, you know, hypocrites, vipers, dead men's bones. How can you escape the damnation of hell? You know, unless you do whatever. But it's, it's what I'm saying is we got to be bold for Jesus. If we gave 100% to the world, then how can we give Jesus just a little bit? We need to be bold in him because he truly is the truth. He is the truth. So what Joshua did here in the wilderness, he separated them. He got them prepared. He took the Egypt out of them that they might war a good warfare. Let's go to Judges 3. I'm going to make the next few points quick because I know we wasted a lot of time. It's good, though, because we're talking about it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Judges chapter 3. Now, the question has always been asked for those who don't read their Bibles, but they'll ask, why would God, why didn't he, if he was all-powerful and almighty, why didn't he just go into Egypt like a tornado, knock everybody out the way, grab his people, fly them over the wilderness, and bring them right into the promised land and move the giants out of the way? Because they wouldn't have had the faith to believe in God. And Here we go. It never makes it easy. <clears throat> yeah, but look at this. Look at uh, Judges 3 and verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. So why were they left there? God wanted to prove Israel by them. Even as many as Israel uh, as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war 
at the least, such as before, knew nothing thereof. So what did he want to do? He brought them in against these giants to teach these people to war. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Christian warring. We do it spiritually today, but we also speak to people very direct. But God puts you in these trials and tribulations to teach you war. Sarah and I go out there on Wednesdays. You know, I'm not going to lie because I used to do it individually. But when we came out there, people ignore us sometimes, you know. And it used to kind of feel funny. You know, when we were doing it like, man, why are we even out here? Nobody's listening to us or whatever. But see, we were self-conscious. The more God-conscious we become, people, we can say, hey, do you know Jesus? And they, oh, bleep you, you so-and-so. And you just, he's the only way to be saved, trusting Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're not out there for us. Right. We're out there for Christ. So even if it means that we get offended by preaching the gospel and telling people the truth, that's worth it because this is about Jesus. So God at times will put you in places uncomfortable just so that you can have more faith. Mm -hmm. If you if you're in a, everybody's bad in church, you realize that? Pastor says something to you, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. And then you look around at everybody, see? Because I don't play. But then you get out there on the street and um Nobody has a church mom. Yeah, uh <laughs> Well, Jesus is kind of like the only way, but not really. I mean, I mean, he is, but, you know, he loves every. No, nah, man. You know, we got to believe God and have faith in him and what he tells us to do. If you're bad in here, be bad out there. And that's one thing. I'm t I mean, come on, guys. If I was that way here, talking like I'm talking, and then I get out there and I'm like a little, you know, mouse tiptoeing on cotton would you guys have any respect for me really you would say he's a chump oh he can talk bad in here but out there he's afraid but see i truly believe the words of god and you know what no matter what comes i'm looking forward to going through the process in this wilderness Amen. i'm looking forward to being a part of this because this is only going to let you grow mm -hmm. the more trouble you face the more rejection you get from people, the more some people may walk out of your life, you gain more courage. That's one thing I will say about Jehovah Witnesses, even though their whole doctrine is wrong. There are some things that they have right, but one thing they do have the guts to do is go and knock on your door. Even though they get the door slammed in their face time after time, and people will answer the door and tell them they're not home. But the thing <laughs> is, is they continuously go. <laughs> You know, this is how you get faith. They will continuously go. So after a while, the fear just goes away. But man, we got to get gutsy. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on. Let's go to, because if we're going to get a little time, we're going to have to move forward with the Lord. We are laughing at. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3. Nobody's home. My mom used to, I'm going to sick the dog on you. Go away. Go away. You're a cult. All right. This is Matthew chapter 3. All right. Now, everybody's heard of John the Baptist in here, right? He was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He came to tell everybody about Jesus. So look at what it says. This is Matthew 3. You almost there, Stephanie? I'm almost there. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Oh, no, it's all good. There's so many pictures in here. 
What kind of Bible you got? <laughs> I have a study Bible. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so this is Matthew 3. We'll start at verse 1, and it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So as you can see, he didn't preach in town. He preached in the wilderness. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camels here and a leathern about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Now, would you guys believe that God would use a person like this? I mean, think about it. This guy is in camel's hair, okay, with leather around his loins. It doesn't even say he had pants on. Caveman. Yeah, he's a caveman pretty much. And his meat, what he ate was locust and wild honey. You talk about a guy that God wanted to separate from a wicked society? Think about that. He wanted to keep him away from it so he could use him. This is how important the preaching of, of the coming of Jesus Christ was. He had to use a caveman to make the point. And I mean, John the Baptist, Lord forgive me, John the Baptist, the Bible says, was full of the Holy Ghost from his birth. I mean, his mother was filled with the Holy Ghost, so much so that at the name of Jesus, they claim that the baby leaped in the womb for joy when he heard the name of, of the coming, you know, Lord. So John the Baptist was full of the Holy Ghost from birth, and look at how he's living. <laughs> Then went out um, to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the so-called religious leaders. You can say these were like the priests, the religious crowd. Come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruit, meat for repentance. So what did John know about these religious people? They were proud. They thought that they knew the Lord. You couldn't tell them anything about Jesus. And they came to be baptized. John said, bring forth fruit. I mean, that you have repented. So what fruit was he talking about here? Meekness. Remember, meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. These religious leaders were so proud that they even slapped Jesus in the face, calling him the devil. And Jesus himself was God in the flesh. But that just this just tells you how religious people are. And you go to a lot of churches and you talk about Jesus and watch people get mad at you. Verse 9. See, they like as long as you say the name of Jesus. But when you start saying, well, actually, Jesus says that this is right and this is wrong. Watch the reaction you get. Well, that's what goes on in your church. But over here, we're going to do what we do here. They get mad at you. All right, verse 9. And think that, um, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to these stones to raise up, able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So God can even use the stones. So don't act like your relation to Abraham means something. That's another thing religious people will do. You want to hear religious talk? Start talking to somebody about the gospel in Jesus Christ, and they'll come to you and say, my great, 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 great granddaddy was a pastor. You know what? So what? So what? What does that have to do with right here, right now? What does that have to do with anything? But he, this is what John the Baptist is addressing. Oh my, everybody's family was in church. So what? All right, so anyway, 
verse 10, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So you see, John did not care about what their heritage was. John said, hey, the axe is laid to the tree. All I know is this, for everyone that does not repent and know Jesus Christ, they're going to be hewn down and cast into the fire. But you see, if you were to say such things in church, you would offend people. But see, this is the real gospel. The gospel can be offensive. Remember when they asked Jesus, did you, um, do you realize what you said? You offended the Pharisees? Jesus said, all I know is the same thing John said. Every tree that bringeth forth not fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So what's the biggest point behind it all? Not your relation to whom, not your whatever history you've got. Do you know Jesus Christ? And that's what children of the wilderness are all about. They represent the Lord and no one else. Not your affiliation to here or there. Do you know Jesus? Verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. For he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That was actually going to be tonight's teaching, but I um, switched it. The name of the teaching for next week is And With Fire, okay? Because a lot of people are thinking so much about the um, baptism in the Holy Ghost, which is an awesome thing, which is the beginning of us growing in Christ. But everyone forgets about the fire. Everyone forgets about being tried. Everybody forgets about the dross having to be burned off of us that we might be made right in Christ. That's what the wilderness does. It burns off the flesh. It takes away the desire for sin. And then from there, God can use you in the promised land, in the spirit. So you see the things that people forget about. Yeah, you got the Holy Ghost, but you haven't gone through the process. You haven't faced trial and tribulation yet. So what does that still make you in some ways? Unqualified. Because unless you put God to the test, unless you allow the spirit to lead you, into where God can use you, then, you, then you're just not going to do his will. So it is important that we begin to trust him as we go. So John was another man in the wilderness, preaching salvation, wanting people to know the truth. He had no affiliation, and he wasn't alone. Elijah the prophet, another man, the Tishbite, right out of the wilderness, that God used. And who was it? Elijah versus what? 900 prophets of Baal, and he had an open confrontation with them there, representing, representing the Lord. What you're going to find about the children of the wilderness is they are a lean, select group of people. They are people that have no religious affiliation to anything, but they love the Lord. And they are willing to speak for him, and they are willing to grow in him. And this is what we need to get prepared for, because God is going to intend to use you. A lot of people God would use, but he can't because they don't want to offend their mama and their daddy. They, don't, they know that the real gospel would be offensive to them, so they stay out of those things because they want, you know, to be liked. When God is saying, I'm telling you to tell them what I said. No, a woman cannot be a pastor in the church. You go and tell them I said that. But if I'm afraid 
because I'm worried about offending, you know, someone in my family, then God can't do what I'm, what he's asking me to do. So you see why it's important why he chooses out of the wilderness? Because those people will do what God says. They trust him. Matthew 4, um, no, actually Luke, uh, man, let's just read this real quick. Luke, uh, Matthew 4, and then I want to go to one other place. But he says, yeah, Matthew 4. So Jesus was just baptized. We stopped it before that point, but he was baptized. The Holy Ghost came upon him. And um, now this is, you know, this is what they're going to talk about now. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into where? The wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he hungered. And when the tempter came, which is the devil, to him and said, If thou be the son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So as you can see, Jesus was not worried about himself. Jesus in the wilderness was God conscious. Pretty much he told the devil, I eat when the Lord tells me to eat. I'm not going to fulfill what I want right now because of you telling me to do this. So I want to skip to 7. This is uh, verse 6 or well, verse 5. Then the devil taken him up into a holy city and set of him on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, uh, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands he shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot upon the stone. So what was the devil saying next? Prove to me you're the Son of God by throwing yourself down. We talked about this last week. And if you're really the Son of God, angels will catch you. And Jesus said unto them, It is written against, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So as you notice, the devil keeps trying to make it about Jesus. Jesus keeps making it about the will of the Father. That's the same way the devil tries to tempt you and I today. He wants to tell you about your life, your future, your desires, what's in your heart. They even got Hallmark commercials. Trust in your heart. But the thing is, is um, Jesus kept making it, bringing it back to the Father. Again, the devil taketh him into the exceeding high mountain and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So why does the devil want us to be in his world doing his will? Because he wants us to fall down and worship him. And I've got to be honest in saying this. I'm not trying to hurt people. But as long as we have some affiliation to the things that the devil likes and we enjoy what he enjoys, enjoys we are bowing the knee. I mean, in so many ways, you don't even see it. It's so subtle. In many ways, while we don't speak up about the Lord in, at work, because we know it can cause us some trouble, that's what you can pretty much say. You're bowing the knee. You're bowing. God meant for us to come forward that people might get saved. You know, and I'm not saying you've got to do this in a way where you got a bullhorn out front telling people that's what you're really in the, you know, the Lord draws you to. But you can try and get somebody from time to time, somebody you might meet by the water fountain, somebody for, hey, you know, I was just wondering, do you know, you know, Jesus or whatever? And, and people always give you a warning. They always say, I'm not into that. Well, if you say that again, I'm going to human resources. All right, well, then leave them alone. But the point is, is we should be able to do the will of God wherever we are. But see, if we don't, in many ways, we're yielding God's time for the devil's time. 
and we're bowing the knee. Hey, let's just admit it so we know where we are and we can get beyond that. Other opportunities, you're talking to somebody, they're expressing pain in their life or anything, or mm-hmm. health issues. You can easily offer to pray for us. They know Jesus that way. You know, there's so many ways to get into asking people questions, helps you a lot more get information where you can then figure out how do I, you know, offer them Jesus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She's absolutely right because you see, a child of the wilderness don't care about that. Child of the world, Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. The Bible will tell you that in Luke 9. Jesus didn't have a home. You know they got people teaching that Jesus was rich, that he had a whole bunch of money and all this other stuff. I mean, lying. Jesus said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. What's that? No. Exactly. You ever heard of that, that scripture where he took the fish and poured out two coins out of the fish's mouth? I mean, you know, when you got the power of God, there's nothing you can't do. All right, verse 9, and saith him, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So a child of the wilderness will serve the Lord. Why? He's got no affiliation with the world. Now, is this an overnight process? No. That's why if you go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and five, what does it say? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So as you can see, someone of God that he's using is going to help cast down the imaginations of every high thing that goes against God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Who can do that but a child of the wilderness? You can bring every thought. Just when you get ready to get up and say, oh, my alarm went off, I'm going to work. And the Holy Ghost says, no, you're not. You're going to go out here on 122nd, and I got somebody I want you to meet for breakfast. You tell work, you're going to be late. Now, some people would say, man, God would never tell me to do that. Get to know him. (laughs) Get to know him. So it says, the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So from here, let's go to Luke 4. I want to bring up one point about the religious crowd and get Matthew 14. Luke 4. All right, Luke 4. I think we're going to begin at... All right, this is after the temptation... Uh, let's start at verse 14. Now, this is the devil. This is the same story that we just read. Now, the devil left Jesus. He left the temptation, left Jesus alone for a season. And look at verse 14 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So in order to have the power of the Spirit, Jesus had to kill that flesh in the wilderness. Then he says, into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So he went into the churches, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him a book of the prophet Isaiah. And uh, he had opened the book and found the place where it was written. 
So this is Jesus fulfilling a prophecy. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recover the sight of to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So as you can see, Jesus made clear the spirit, okay, is upon me because he hath sent me to what? Set the captives free, bind up the broken heart, do all these things. Christina just mentioned people can tell you all about their pains and hurts in their lives. And you know what we do with this? We sit on it. But you see, if the spirit is upon you, he's going to lead you to set the captives free. And now notice, this is New Testament. They're not slaves here. But why are they still using the term captive? Because there are people that are still bound by the world, still in Egypt, still lost. You know, a boss can come up to you and he could be contemplating suicide, but we'll look at him and say, oh, he won't want the gospel. I can tell by the way he is at work. You know, if God told you to speak to that individual, tell him about Jesus. This guy maybe never had a chance. He might hear it, change his life, and pursue the Lord. We can't just look at people and tell, I can tell they won't want Jesus. I mean, look at the way we were before we got saved. You think God's going to, I mean, we were judging by looks. I should be damned to hell. Verse 20. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them all were um, in the synagogue were fastened on, fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Uh, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will, uh, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now this is true because people remember how you were in the world, but they won't give you the credit for these things. So Jesus tells all the things that he said. He was trying to help the people, letting him know that, you know, the prophecies have been fulfilled. Your Messiah is here. You guys can come unto me and I can help you out. Look at verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, were um, they, they heard these things were filled with wrath. So these guys in the church are mad at Jesus because he came to bind the broken heart, set the captives free, heal them that are bruised, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. So you didn't know they all grabbed Jesus and threw him out, huh? Look at this. And led him into the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted to throw Jesus on his head because he came preaching the truth. This is what religion can do to you. You come, I'm telling you, the more you learn in this, your family's going to say one or two things. You're either in a cult or, you know, somebody's teaching you the false gospel when you can read it right here for yourselves. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. The closer you draw to the Lord and you do the will of the Lord and you start preaching the real gospel, you watch how people turn on you. I've had a lot of people turn on me for this. Just telling them the truth. Oh, the Bible says you can't do that. Baby, man, see, that's what I'm saying about you. You know, you're just super self-righteous. I'm not self-righteous. I'm just telling you what the word said. But you see, they wanted to kill Jesus because he was coming to set the captives free. 
So you see, everybody that you present the gospel with is not going to want it. Most people won't. But it is our job to preach the gospel to every single person. Matthew 14, and I think I can be done. 14 or 13? Matthew 14. Did you hear me say 13? Yeah. I had 14, though. Did you? Okay. See, so Sarah is wrong. Not out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm picking on Sarah. Children of God. Children of the world. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's see. There was just so much information, guys. In your spare time, just check out other scriptures. First uh, Samuel twenty-three, David in the wilderness. First um, Kings eighteen and nineteen, when Elijah was in the wilderness, he had his experience. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that kind of brings a lot of things together in Hebrews 3 you guys have any spare time read those so we're going to uh, Matthew uh, 14 and verse uh, 14 <laughs> alright verse 13 actually so this is Matthew 14 and 13 when Jesus heard of it he departed. Now he just learned that his his cousin uh, John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded. Why was John the Baptist was why was he killed? Because he told the king of Israel, "It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife." King Herod wanted to marry um, his brother's wife, and John the Baptist, being as bold as he was, went forward and said, "It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife." So he said that, and um, the woman got upset, and she made her um, daughter dance for Herod, like strip dancing. I'm not even lying to you. You know, she pleased him through strip dancing, and Herod said, man, what will I do for you, you know, after you've done this for me? And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, okay? That's how John the Baptist ended up being killed, through lust. Somebody lusting after a woman... Uh, he was told by John, you can't marry your brother's wife. And that's why he was killed. So Jesus' first cousin is dead. And um, his disciples came and told Jesus. And this is verse 13. And when Jesus heard it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. So what was Jesus coming to do when he heard John the Baptist was dead? That was the end of the ministry of John the Baptist. His role was to tell everyone about Jesus. Now that Jesus knows this, he said, all right, this is the perfect time to prove to these people that who John was talking about was me. So what did he do? He took them into a desert place. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, this is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. So what did he want to do? The disciples said, well, Jesus, well, I know you just healed the people, but we're in a desert area. We don't have any food, so why don't you just send the people away now? And then it says, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here 
but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. So five loaves and two fishes, that's the number seven. Seven is always a number of the spirit. So that means that Jesus is going to do something spiritual here. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So as you notice, there was no food. They only had five loaves. Jesus took the food, put it up in the air to the Father. He blessed it, and he was able to just keep separating fish, kept breaking bread, and bread was just falling. I mean, you know, that's amazing, but I believe that my God can do this. That's why he took them there, so he could show them, you don't have to have food for me to feed you. I'm going to show you that all things are possible to them that believe. Verse 20, and they did all eat and were filled, and they took up um, of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. What is 12? God's number of government. So as you can see, his government was perfected in the spirit. Verse 21, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before them unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. All right, so I don't have time to get into that. Christina addressed a little of that on the conference. You know, we talked about walking on the sea, and he was trying to bring them further into the spirit. And I'm sorry I didn't get to really talk about a lot tonight, but I don't want to overwhelm you guys with the wilderness, the wilderness, and all that. But even when Jesus, well, on the last day, when he was um, getting going to ascend, you know, into heaven, he told the people, he was in the wilderness when he ascended, but then he told them, go into Jerusalem and wait. And he said, tarry until thou be endowed with power. He said, ye shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So in many ways, the disciples, which were 120 of them at this time, they all waited for the promise for Jesus to pour out his spirit on them. Why were they in the wilderness? Because Matthew, who was a tax collector, could not go back to being a tax collector. After they walked with Jesus, Roman soldiers wanted to kill them. So Peter could not go back to being a fisherman. These guys could not go back to their normal lives once they were taken out this far. When he gave the spirit to them, they were separated unto him. They prayed with, they prayed um, to him and he sent the Holy Ghost. That's in Acts, the second chapter. But we got to understand if we want the righteous works of God, then we have to have experiences in the wilderness. Many days it's going to feel like nobody is with you. Even here, there's times that, you know, holidays or things come up. People don't show up for study. But you know what? My commitment is to what I'm called to do. There's times you look across the room and you see faces that used to be here that are not here anymore. And, you know, you get kind of down and you start feeling like... You know, but you know, God always does that every now and then to remind us, you're with me. I'm with you. You're not just speaking to people here. This is being recorded because you're speaking to people for, for whomever is listening. This gospel is for everyone. But when you are called to do a work for the Lord, there are times people are going to be with you and they won't be. But that's all a part of the experience in the wilderness. What is it meant to do? To teach you how to trust God to teach you to believe. If you have everything, how can you trust God? So some things he's got to take from you. He's got to break you. So that way you can see, Lord, 
It's because of you that I'm even doing what I'm doing. And that includes your job. That includes everything you have. Praise the Lord for it. Because aside from him, you can have absolutely nothing. So children of wilderness are going to be an elect group. They're going to be a special group. They're going to be those that are going to trust their God no matter what. For them that know their God, they will be strong and do exploits. But for those people that died in the wilderness, refusing to go further, they went back to familiarity. Don't let familiarity ruin your walk with the Lord. You take him wherever he wants to go. You walk with him, you believe him, and you trust him. The wilderness is a dangerous place, too. It's a dangerous place. Why? Because it seems like when nothing's going on, you've got time to fool around. Mm. But stay steadfast and diligent. Pursue him and make it till you make it to the promise. We ought to run this race with patience, trusting in the Lord. And there are so many distractions out there, but we can't allow ourselves to be distracted. Many days you're not going to feel like praying. Many days you won't even feel like coming to study. Many days you're not going to want to go to church, whatever it is. But we've got to buckle down and know there is nothing more important than, than God's word. This is the only thing that matters is that God's will is done. You got something? Oh, I just want to... Oh, that's something you want to bring? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Here, when the disciples told the people, told Jesus that the people should go back into town and get food, that's what religious people do because they don't want to believe that Jesus Christ can take them through the battle and they don't even want to get into the battle. So they send someone... You know, someone say, oh, you, you know Jesus Christ, but let me tell you about such and such church. That way they can basically just get them off of their hands and have someone else deal with it. And that's also, I'm glad you said that, because that's one of the most dangerous things about religion is when most people get saved, they run right past Jesus into religion. That just seems the way that people do. Like, they get saved, they hear the truth, they get excited, and they could be running, and the Lord is like, you know... Welcome home. You know, you're going to be with me. And they run right past Jesus unto the nearest, you know, oh, pastor, I'm back home. I was a sinner, but I'm saved. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord is also saying, man, it's about intimacy. I didn't save you in church. I saved you outside of the church because I wanted you to know me. There's nothing wrong with church. That's not the point I'm making. But don't run past Jesus right into religion. Run and get to know Jesus. If you go to church, go to church, but don't lose that relationship. That's more important than anything. All right, so that's the lesson for tonight. I just want to tell people, I know I didn't get a lot out, but, you know, I love you. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries. You know, let's become children of the wilderness because they have no affiliation to the things that hold us back. For those who made it were those who trusted in the Lord. All right, Christina, something. All right, I just have a little something I want to share. Um, it's kind of awesome because what I had really ties in tonight. And it's really kind of just talking about that Egypt and how being in that bondage and how this is Satan's kingdom. And this system, our, our world system, the government, politics, um, economics, um, the school system is all bound, and even religion bound to separate and isolate people, the jail system, um, mm-hmm. all these things are created to keep people separated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the spirit of God is one that is supposed to keep us in unity. 
And it's hard as believers, we are constantly fighting against a world system that is against really unity um, and Jesus Christ. But as I'm discovering this, I'm seeing that um, there is, and I'm talking to people, there's so many different perspectives, so many lenses. And as you're talking to people, and when you're a believer, you're seeing through your God conscious lens. So you're seeing through your spiritual lens. Um, but you also have to try and understand where someone else is at. Um, what mind, what state are they in? What lens are they looking through? Are they looking through their soul, emotional lens? Are they in a state of emotion? Um, are they in a state of logic? Um, are they looking through a lens of um, politics? Are they looking through a lens that's earthly, um, carnal? And you know, Jesus talks of so many different examples in the Bible when Jesus is talking to religious groups about the carnal mind versus the spirit mind. Mm -hmm. And so he's addressing this different perspective and he's pointing it out. Um, but as we are talking to people, I think it's important to... Because I've count, I've seen myself sometimes just looking at my lens. So just look at my perspective of what God's telling me in spiritual. I know the Lord wants me to bring that in because that's who I am as a believer. And um, but He He has shown me some recent times in my classes on how can I first see where this person is at. Where is their mind at first? Where are they seeing? How are they looking at the situation in our life? Um, and then how can I take that and offer a new perspective? Offer that new lens, that spiritual lens. So how can I connect to them from where they're at, empathize, and then ask you know, the Holy Spirit to lead me to offer a new perspective? And as we know, when we're out there trying to tell people about God, we're going to get denied more than we are people are going to accept. And it's not about us. It's not about how our percentages of winning it's about trying it's about um just delivering the message yeah. yeah what and, tells you to say yeah and so okay so we're gonna start at go to philippians 3 and 13 i'm gonna go into this little more i kind of talked a lot but <laughs> philippians 3 and 13 and also kind of looking at that um lens is or perspective is it helps you see the person um and have compassion for them versus the sin we hate the sin we want to address it spiritually because we know that's where our war is but we also have to understand that we the world we are living in and how do we address the person as well how do we get deep and make it relatable for them so they can understand the spiritual um to connect to them so let's start at everyone there 3 Philippians and 13 or Philippians 3 and 13 Brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ so that's that continuing to press forward toward the high calling in the wilderness um, and forgetting about Egypt and the system, even though we are living in the system, we have to recognize that. How do we keep pressing forward towards God and Jesus Christ and still deliver that message? 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, 
be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So, where it says otherwise minded, this is saying like there is different perspectives. There's different ways of looking at things. And as believers, we need to realize we aren't fully perfect with God yet. We are still progressing and growing. I mean, well, I know I'm not. I can't speak for everyone. But I know that I'm not perfect with God yet. And he is continuing to reveal these things unto me and showing me where other people are at or even where my mind is at, where that needs to be lifted spiritually to see. Um, and through that, him revealing those things, he can help you see where other people might be at. Let's go to... Well, he says otherwise minded, he means like against, like not with the prize, not heading towards the prize. Yeah, right. so I'm saying other okay, perspectives. Right. So okay. that could be earthly, that could no, be emotionally. Right. No, I was yeah. just making sure at first. <laughs> I was like, huh? Yeah. No, good. Okay, so moving on, we're going to um, Jude 1 and 21. Way towards the back. Just Second book to the end. Oh, it's hidden. It's hidden. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Jude, it's only one book, it's a very small one. Um, verse 21 Keep yourself in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. So that's that compassion that we just saw um, in Matthew 14 about, you know, Jesus going out and wanting to heal the sick because he was hurt that his um, first cousin was just murdered uh, for standing up for God. And so going out there and having compassion, feeling the Holy Spirit lead you to... Um, talk about the gospel with people that you're interacting every day and then 23 or through prayer whatever he's asking you to do and then others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even or hating even the garment spotted by the flesh so this is an example of saving by fire saving by you know just completely attacking the sin um and I just wanted to make this point of showing, like, there's two different ways that we can um, minister to people to try and save a soul. And but it's definitely God, the Spirit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like whatever the Spirit tells you to say. I mean, that's... But there are different ways, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, either way, it could be done... Um, like, I know there's times the Lord has told me just to say stuff. And then there's times the Lord has told me you need to build a relationship with this person. And then as I build a relationship with that person, I've actually got deeper connected with them and had conversations about God and got to pray for them. And um, that has actually opened up them being willing to listen to me versus... And like you said, he yeah. told you. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, next we're going to go to 1 Corinthians and 12, 13 and 12, 13 and 12 is our last one. Oh, 
First Corinthians 13 and then First Corinthians 12? No, First Corinthians 13 and 12. Oh, 13 verse 12. Yes. Corinthians 13 and 12. Actually, it started at 11. Okay. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So this is like your spiritual growth in Christ. As you continue to seek God, um, he will pull things out of your life and mature you. And then you don't care about things of the Egypt as much you're starting to throw them away um 12 for now we'll end because those things you can't take with you for salvation 12 for now we see through a glass so darkly so a dim glass but then face to face so like looking into a mirror now i know in part but then shall i know even as also i am known and now abideth faith hope charity these three but the greatest of these charity and that charity is godly love so that's going back to that having that compassion of being or having that boldness and courageous to be able to speak to people about the lord um but also knowing that you know we see god dimly right now in our spiritual walk um but as we grow and mature, we can see he'll lift, unlift that spiritual veil and we'll see more clearly of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he'll be able to tell us more clearly. The spirit will be able to talk to us more clearly and give us instructions that um, we understand, yes, this is what he's telling me. It's not my own thoughts. This is, we'll be able to distinguish the difference between um, our flesh mm-hmm. conscious or self-conscious or God conscious and mm-hmm. what is going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Basically, that's what I just wanted to bring forward is, you know, this whole system is meant to pull us apart. And it's really easy. I know for myself, sometimes I can get over-spiritual and separate myself from people of the world because I see the sin and it hurts. Um, But the Lord has had to show me sometimes you need to be vulnerable and get not in the sin, but get to know that person and because there's a deeper thing a calling I need you to do this person Mm -hmm. okay get to know that person because you need to show them what my love is and no matter what they're doing that there's a way a better way okay and they're experiencing pain too troubles trials tribulation but with me the burden and the yoke is lighter and that there is and basically that better way we have to be able to be vulnerable and still get to know people even if they don't have the Lord that's right. That's what the Lord tells us, make disciples, you know what I mean? It's like taking people under your wing, teaching them, showing them, because sometimes it's not just enough to just preach the gospel to people, you know? People need to be nurtured. They need to be shown. Hey, let me teach you this. Let me show you this. You know, it's like helping the babes grow. You got something? Really? I'm surprised. All right. Well, Sarah's going to pray out to them. Yeah, but you know that's just the biggest thing we got to give it to him to be led by the spirit because when God leads us by his spirit 
there's no misunderstanding. You know, whatever he tells us to do, it's going to be fruitful. It's going to be beneficial to what we're doing for another or ourselves. Amen. All right. Anybody, any questions? Anything anybody wanted to say? Even if it's, why'd you take so long? <laughs> yeah. That's good. All right, good, sir. Let's pray up. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this evening in Jesus' name. And Lord God, I just want to first of all thank you. Thank you, God, for being God. Thank you, God, for being a faithful father and not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for another day that we can come to you, Lord, another day not promised to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for all and everything that you've done for us in our lives, Lord, because if we're here tonight, that's because all the years that people have prayed for us, all the years, Lord, that you have just pleaded with us and begged with us and sat next to us and said, don't do this hurtful thing that's going to lead you down a road of destruction. Don't go to that bar tonight. Don't get with this person that's going to cause you pain for several years. Don't do this. And all that begging and pleading with us, Lord, all the work that you did for us and one decision, Lord, we only made one decision that led to another choice and another choice to, Lord, to live with you. But that does not equal to the amount, the great pain that you went through, Lord Jesus Christ, not just on the cross for us that day, but the years of begging with us, Lord, and pleading with us to live after you because, Lord Jesus Christ, you were the only way that leads to life. Lord, if we choose this world and if we choose to lift after Satan, Lord, it's only going to lead us down a life of hell, destruction, pain. But, Lord Jesus Christ, you call us into all newness, Lord Jesus, and I thank you for that. Yes. I thank you that for that, Lord Jesus Christ. But you didn't just save us, Lord, so we could live in this world. You didn't save us, Lord, so we could live in this world, our world, Lord. You saved us to call us out from the world to be sanctified, Lord Jesus Christ, that we can tell others of the joy, of the peace, of the hope that is in us, and that's only in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. You, and I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you give us the strength, your strength, every day, to take on the battles that are going to come this way, Lord. And that's why you give us your armor, Lord. And we have to take on that armor every single day, Lord. And we have to keep it new in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to strengthen it only in you, Lord. So that way, when the attacks of the enemy come, when the attacks of the world comes, when we don't always have an understanding of what's going on, Lord, that armor protects us from the world. But we have to keep it in you, Lord. And how do we do that? having our relationship with you, spending time with you, spending time in your world to turn off the world and to turn on to you, Lord Jesus Christ, because that is the only way we're going to make it in this life. That is the only way we're going to have your power in our life to go out and talk to others about you and to show them your power, your healing, your way is the only way, Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter our finances. It doesn't matter what family and so-called friends are saying about us, Lord Jesus Christ. With your peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Those are what keep us going in you, Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what happens, no matter who falls off, Lord Jesus Christ, we can make it only in you. 
And I thank you, Jesus. And I'm praying and asking tonight, Lord God, that this ministry will be established upon your kingdom, that everything that we do is for your will, Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost, Lord God. We have to count the cost. And the count the cost means everything that we do is for you, Lord Jesus Christ. That is the will, the will of my Father which is in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God Almighty. And I'm praying that whatever we go through tonight, Lord, it is not greater than you. It does not become an idol. We give everything to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm praying tonight, Lord God, that we pray, even if it we think it'll hurt us, Lord, even if we don't have con- entire trust in you, that we will, Lord, that we are going to trust in you as your people, as you've called us out, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray, search me and try me, O oh Lord. I'm praying, Lord God, that we pray that you will search the deep places of our life, the places that we don't even think there's sin, that you take those things out of us, Lord, that we will hate it as you hate it so you can fill us with your Holy Ghost and that we can go out and tell the world with the joy and the peace that you've given us. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. I thank you for this time, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm praying, Lord God, that you take us higher, higher in your will. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for you're the only one, Lord God, that deserves all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Thank you, you, God. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.